Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna And good morning, and again, thank you for listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. No, I'm not Carmen. That's pretty obvious. I'm Paul Perot, usually the producer, but today on this side of the mic, and good to be with you. Coming up this hour, Peter Kapsner will be joining us for our usual Thursday conversation with him, and we'll be looking at asking the question, do pastors prefer celebrating funerals or weddings? The answer may actually surprise you. And also later this hour... You know, there are a lot of Christians who are working in what is often called the public sector. They're working for government agencies, not just congressmen and senators or legislators, but city administrators and uh, county council members or commissioners and such. Dog catchers. (laughs) They're, They're working on the road crews, you know, the city road crews and such. How should we be relating not just with them, but supporting them. And we'll be talking with with uh, Dorothy Burton about that later this hour. She's part of an organization that's, uh, that's called Christians in Public Service. So stay with us for that. Kind of follow-up to last hour. I love the text that came in. A thank you as Kathy Branzell was praying for our teachers and our schools and our students for this coming year. And this person's texting and saying, thank you for the prayer. I work in a middle school, 6th through 8th grade. So, yeah, we're there for you. We want to pray for you. And again, yesterday we talked uh, with uh, with Daryl Crouch, who's part of an organization, a uh, community gospel movement, I guess you could call it, called Everyone's Wilson. And as an organization of churches and business leaders and di- various organizations in Wilson County, Tennessee, they're helping, they're supporting their local schools in very practical, tangible ways and opening doors of sharing God's love and sharing the gospel. If you want to read or hear more of that, the podcast is up now at MyFaithRadio.com. Just look for yesterday's first hour uh, conversation, again, with Daryl Crouch. Now, have you ever seen those videos or pictures online, people of Walmart? Yeah, I know we can get a laugh at those. Um, I, a long time ago, decided never, ever to share those again. Uh, That's because for several years, I had to pay off some bills, and so I was working part-time at Walmart. And yes, I've seen some interesting people, but God impressed upon me, your job there is to serve. Your job there is to love these people. Now, one of the Walmarts I worked at in the Twin Cities metro I remember seeing a woman with extremely long fingernails. She's in the news. She just got awarded a Guinness World Record for the longest fingernails. Her name is Diane Armstrong, lives in Minneapolis. If you were to lay her fingernails end to end, 42 feet, 10 inch, 10.4 inches. I, I've seen her walk around. The, this was years ago when I was there. And she'd walk around, and the fingernails would just drape really long, 
she had her hands up all the time. If she, you know, she would hold them up almost shoulder, shoulder height and the nails would be almost, you know, at least past her knees at that point. And you're going, why would somebody do that? That's just weird. Well, she told her story as she got the, uh, as she got the Guinness World Record. You can find the video of that. Her name, Diane Armstrong, like I mentioned, she initially started growing out her fingernails after her daughter, Letitia, died from an asthma attack at the age of 16. Diana said, she's the only one who did my nails. She polished them. She filed them for me. So she did my nails the night before the asthma attack took her life. After that, I just couldn't cut my nails. There's some brokenness there. Oftentimes we, we look at people, maybe they're a little weird to us, and we dismiss them or we judge them. Do we press in and learn about the pain and the brokenness behind things? When you see Jesus interacting with others, his humility and genuineness of love and concern is so real. I, I just was reading this morning, I've been going through the Gospel of John repeatedly this year. I've just been reading through through and through, and today the... I was at the passage of the woman caught in adultery. If you ever read that, the Pharisees sought to exploit her to score points against Jesus. Jesus wasn't there to score points. And he wasn't about to play into their politicking because he saw her. He saw beyond her sin, saw beyond her brokenness. He saw her. Do we do that? Are we going to be like our Savior in that regard? Well, I'm Paul Pro. This is Mornings with Carmen. So why would a pastor prefer doing a funeral to a wedding? Peter Kapsner and I will be talking about that shortly here on Faith Radio. Again, thanks for listening to Mornings Without Carmen on this Thursday. Now, usually when Carmen is out, guest host Peter Kapsner is in. But, okay, I'm doing it the, the yesterday, today, and tomorrow because this guy, Peter Kapsner, who's joining us now, is actually on his way to Scotland. It, indeed, this is quite the role reversal. This is actually really fun. You're in the host chair. I'm in the guest chair. Normally, it is flipped when Carmen is out of town like this. And and I think our mandate mostly is just to not break the show, which I don't yeah, think either that's... one of us promised ahead of time to not do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we're try- we're trying to we're trying not to break it. Now, okay, why are you heading to Scotland again? You spend a lot of time there. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey there, Scott, uh, to Scotland, Paul, because um, I did my my graduate work there, and um, there's a lot of change going on in the institutional church. And you and I and Carmen talk about this from time to time. I talk about this with Bill on his afternoon show as well. And some of those changes is that some of these really big corporate kinds of churches are beginning to um, maybe see the end of their lifespan. And that's not a bad thing. It just is a way of, of organizing church. And, and what's coming in its place are more and more parish-minded churches, meaning the kind of churches that are going to invest in a local community, but they're not looking to grow these huge organizations. So here's where Scotland fits in. Eugene Peterson was once asked, how do you learn how to do a parish kind of ministry? Mm -hmm. And he said, really, the only way you can learn to do that 
is you have to go to the UK because that is the place in which they are really doing that kind of ministry. So this is not a, a holiday per se for us. I mean, clearly it's fun to be in Scotland, but this is part of my Christian ministries work to, um, and, and Hallie, my wife is involved as well, where we're, we're learning how to do much more of a localized kind of parish ministry to export that back to the U.S. for the next generation. Mm. Now, you've been, you and I were talking about that before. You have a good friend who's working on a book on that that'll be released in a little while. But yeah, this is interesting because I've been kind of compelled more. Think smaller, think smaller, invest local, invest in people instead of Huge infrastructures, but well, yeah. and I think and and where we can go with that uh, a bit too, Paul is yeah, there. I mean, the issues that again get talked about with you and Carmen day in and day out, and the great guests that you have, uh, they're so often very complex and difficult issues. the The landscape of this world has changed mm-hmm. so dramatically in these last fifteen years, and there's so many questions that families have, that grandparents have, that kids have about social issues, biblical issues, theological issues that just. They they don't translate well to a one hour gathering on a Mm-mm. Sunday morning no. with three worship songs, a bit of an offering, and in uh, a twenty minute sermon. And so the advantage that a localized parish based kind of ministry has is the ability to gather in different kind of forms in different sorts of ways. And and just a quick example of that is that we have been meeting in my house uh, with twenty five thirty people or so on mm-hmm. Sundays, and we've been zooming in some of the people that might even be on on some of the faith radio shows where they'll come in and join us uh, for an informal time, 30, 40 minutes at a time. And, and we're really able to walk through some equipping in some really different kinds of ways because of it. Hmm. It's, it's been really, it's different. Yeah, it sounds interesting. And, and the funny thing about it, and, and okay. maybe we just stay on this topic for a little bit for this segment, is... Um, it, it does. You outside looking in, it almost feels like, well, that can't possibly be church, right? Because ch- when you think about church, uh, it is this hour gathering that happens on a Sunday morning um, with a steeple and a sign and a building and a website and a staff and all of what goes in programs and all of what goes into that. And that is church. But we always have to keep in mind that church is not the institution in the building. Church is the gathering of the people. And so we're just gathering in a new kind of way that's reflective of this parish mindset. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth because you're talking about institutional functions, and then there's also the organic reality of what the church is. The church is not the building. The church, the, the church meets in the building. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we, we kind of tie in the name church building to the, but the reality is God established, Jesus established his church, the organic reality. All these church organizations and institutions exist for the purpose. I kind of call it the cast of, of uh, something going wrong with, say you have a broken arm. Mm-hmm. Right. And you put a cast on to hold things while things heal and can function better. Well, that's kind of what the church is supposed to do because we have a broken humanity. And we so do. you're we putting do. a cast on, but the reality is the humanity, the, 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 the church organic is still there. And the cast just helps it stay safer while it functions. I think that's exactly right. And, and especially then when, it's, when it does its mandate that it was given to do, which is to equip the saints for ministry. And and so, again, uh, when we're talking about it, a difference of maybe spending three, four, five hours together on a Sunday afternoon where you have a meal and informal conversations, and then we're going through a book or just a time of teaching, or as I said, we're Zooming in some guests. We'll have communion every week. And what's interesting about it, Paul, is I would say in one Sunday gathering of that style, we're able to get more deeply into some of the difficult familial, relational, social issues that we face. Things like sexuality is much uh, easier to cover in that kind of context than it is um, 
from the understandable fearful pulpit that a pastor might <laughs> yeah, try, exactly. like a one way uh, it's really as, as somebody who's done sermons for 20 years of his life it's a really fearful experience to have a one-way conversation with a group of a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand people on a subject like sexuality because of the risk of being entirely misunderstood of not being able to get into so many of the different nuances and dimensions but you can do that when you're sitting in the room and gathered together that way. And it's been a really sweet kind of idea. The other maybe uh, quick outcome of all of it too is we're starting to see each other in context outside of Sunday. Mm -hmm. That also feels terribly organic. We're showing up at our kids' theater events or we're ending up um, maybe at a house project or something like that. Right. And and boy, even post-COVID with all of what technology has done to sort of break up relationships, it is, I, I'm starting to feel a little bit human again because I'm actually <laughs> hanging out with people and it's been really delightful on a number of levels. So that's maybe a long answer to the question about why we're in Scotland is continuing to learn how to care well, not mm -hmm. just for the people that are coming in the doors of the church, but the entire then parish around us, because we do see our ministry as probably a three or four square mile radius. And we'll just trust that there's other brothers and sisters and other parts of our city in which we live that will take care of some other people. But we really do want to care for the whole community this way. Mm, well, this is interesting. We'll change topics here in just a little bit. Uh, talking about, well, a, we'll go across the pond, as it were, to a uh, uh, Vicar, uh, an Anglican vicar, and his name is Giles Fraser, and he wrote an article recently at The Unheard where he just expressed his frustration with the narcissism of modern weddings, and we'll get to that in just a few moments here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. You say come to the river Well, again, thanks for listening to Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Paul. Don't forget, this is the final week of our Faith Radio's biggest book bundle giveaway ever. This week, focusing on books to help us as believers respond to a lot of the cultural issues of the day, which is actually something that we here on Mornings with Carmen like to do on a daily basis. But, boy, we also have a lot of great resources. We like to get into your hands, bundles of books. So sign up for your opportunity to win at MyFaithRadio.com. And, again, I'm talking with Peter Kapsner, who's heading back to Scotland. And you, you were, before we get into the next topic, maybe this will be the only one we've right, right. on. <laughs> but, okay, you were talking about when you're in this parish group and talking about things and hopefully people living organically within the truth of Christ, then issues such as human sexuality have a context on which you can talk about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important as we transition over to what this article by Giles Fraser at The Unheard, he was venting his frustration as an Anglican vicar about the narcissism of modern weddings. I want to read a few segments here, mm -hmm. Peter. He says, Most vicars much prefer funerals to weddings. At a funeral, the meaning of life question is front and center. Here, religion is important, even to the uncommitted. 
but a great many weddings have long been an experience, often only homeopathically religious in character, even when conducted within a church. And then he goes on in another segment, the problem with all of this is not is not just that the vicars have lost control of his or her own church, but rather that the wedding ceremony becomes something so much smaller, mm. suffocating under the centripetal gravity of the me, me, me. The liturgy of the traditional wedding, he goes on, is supposed to articulate the idea that when two people give themselves to each other in love, the world becomes a much more expansive space, not least expansive enough to, uh, for the nurture of children, a job that requires more training and selflessness than anything else known to humankind. <laughs> right. But again, he, he's, people are so caught up in that special day. They for sure are. There's something missing. I actually just uh, last week gave up my um, my ministerial license to conduct weddings just because it, it, they, they can be exhausting. And in fairness, over, I've conducted more weddings than I, than I can count over these 20 years in ministry. And there have been weddings that I have deeply and profoundly enjoyed. Tend, they tend to be people that are personal that I, that I know quite well. But, but here's what I don't like about being the, the officiant at the wedding is because most of the day is revolving around the couple and mm-hmm. it's mostly all about them and it's about their life together and we, we've lost a sense. And I know even like you and I and Carmen have talked about this. What is the purpose of marriage? Well, it's been reduced down to, can I find a fun companion for a lifetime to enjoy a bit of company and travel and adventure or whatever it is and we better like, you know, all of the kind of self-absorbed mindset right. that is the current version of wedding. And, and as the officiant in that situation, because the whole wedding is about making it as special as possible for that couple and the celebration you know what you don't want to do as an efficient you don't want to screw that up <laughs> and uh, and you know me well enough to know that i'm uh, among the least formal kind of people that uh, and i just don't take myself that seriously i take god and kingdom life terror you know deadly seriously mm-hmm. but there's a lot of fun and laughter and joy and, and i have to kind of dress up in the suit and be formal and make sure i don't wreck their day there's a ton of pressure with very little upside to be a part of that and it really does revolve around that couple and you know, Paul, by contrast, and the vicar is talking about preferring to do funerals. I haven't done as many funerals as I've done weddings, but I'll tell you what, I don't know of a space that I've occupied over the years in which the veil between the world of time that you and I are in and the world of eternity in which God dwells um, is that veil is very thin in those moments. Um, and the three funerals that I can think of, one of which uh, I did in, in a very tragic situation of a friend of mine who, for all intents and purposes, was um, on the road to healing from a heart transplant, and they were celebrating after nine months waiting for a heart, and and uh, he had been in the hospital that entire time mm. and uh, and received the transplant, and everything looked good, and then suddenly it took a turn as his body began to reject it, and he passed away, and it was just this terrible thing. And the other funerals were similar in, in that kind of tragedy, but... Um, but with the veil being thin, you're not there. It's not a self-absorbed time. And, and thankfully, in all three occasions, people had a mind of eternity of some kind. And so there, I, I experienced the fullness of the grief and the tears that come with it, but also with a sense of authentic hope. And, uh, and so it's, this is about ministry and it's about comfort and it's about um, the hope that uh, honestly dwells within us. That hope gets tested mm-hmm. when people pass away. And, and that hope really gets tested when people pass away and and suddenly tragic circumstances like that. And yet I found over and over again, Paul, that the hope of glory that resides within us, as it gets tested in those very difficult raw moments at the funeral, um, it, it comes out the other side. This whole story is real. And there's very little about that 
that I experience in most weddings. Now you just there's there's this kingdom life that emerges in funeral times in the tears that is just utterly breathtaking, even as you are probably crying uh, mm-hmm. pretty hard. And, and maybe just one more quick comment on that. In fairness, the, the, the weddings that I have done that feel that sacred are when couples know that they're signing up to participate as stewards in a bigger story, that the story is not about themselves, it, it, that they are now going to steward God's kingdom in a different kind of way. And so then when they start saying those vows across the aisle to one another, here's the deal, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And and in so doing, they're making that promise to God that they're saying yes to the bigger story together. And those moments, the veil becomes very thin too. And this is another reason why I'm a very bad officiant because sometimes I'll start <laughs> crying in those moments and it's like, well, now I just wrecked the ceremony. But the point is, again, to, the, to what you've brought up in this article, how self-absorbed we often are when there's a much bigger story that we need to touch in these very sacred events. You know, as you were talking about that, and you, you kind of came around to it, but the whole idea of, okay, at the funeral, you're kind of faced in a situation where you can't ignore the future, the kingdom, right. the stuff like that. In the wedding, I mean, I'm glad you brought about the whole idea of of when the couple understands they're part of a larger story, part of a larger narrative, part of, hopefully, in this case, the kingdom. Right. They know they're building towards something else. It's not just this moment. And, and actually, it was when three weeks ago, uh, actually, t- pardon me, three years ago, a week ago today, uh, you were at... Briefly, my wedding. I and then was. <laughs> you knew, Peter knew my wife in high school. I did, and, and your wife has very incriminating photos of me with hair in junior yeah, high yes, yearbooks. So let's yes. just be very clear about this. Yes, <laughs> but you didn't hang around us. I know. Uh, anyway, I okay. Know, but anyway, the, getting back to what I was talking about, um, you know, there's that call to that larger yes. thing, and if if you're living in light of that now, I'm. It was so it's, clear with you and Jessica yeah. is the point when you got married that you were you were saying yes to a bigger invitation yes. that somehow the two of you together were invited to steward his kingdom together. And it was so clear in the ceremony. And then there's that beauty and that sacredness that happens in those moments. Right, right. And it, I guess the hard part for me with what you were describing was people unfortunately don't oftentimes don't take it seriously until a death situation. Right. It's like, what are we invited to in this life now? Like you're talking about with the parish mentality and being incorporated in people's lives and in a very special way in marriage. One of the other lines that that uh, that Giles had in there is marriage used to be a community event. Right. Now For it's sure a private it ceremony. For and sure again, it was. You're part of something larger. Maybe in a different time when we have another segment to do and, and maybe when Carmen's back too, we'll talk a little bit about what weddings were like in the biblical times in which they're often described because what you just said was critical that you actually wouldn't have been officially married unless the community around you was recognizing you and blessing you. It was intrinsic to the ceremony. You had to experience the community blessing because your life was going to be functioning within that community and you were a people who are part of a bigger story together. It's almost impossible for us to think that way in individualistic America where it's about my life and what am I accomplishing. The Bible is written to a people, not to a person. And so all of it is happening within the life of a people. We're just going to have to leave it there. We'll have to leave it right there. So fun to have you in the host chair, though. This is a blast. It really is great to see you. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you. Well, again, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen. That was Peter Kapsner. Yeah, you can try and find him on Twitter. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. You're there. Why don't you get a little more active there? There is dude? a podcast coming. We actually have, have uh, my daughter and I have done our first episode. That'll be going oh. live here in a couple of weeks. So I'll give you more information oh. when I'm back again. Oh, that sounds good. That Indeed. sounds good. Well, again, thanks, Peter. This is Mornings with Carmen. Up next, Breakpoint. 
Ah, this is the kingdom coming down. God's kingdom coming to earth. That's, that's what the church is part of. It's what God is working toward. Until then, we still have a broken world, and sometimes we get frustrated when things, well, collide, especially when maybe you're struggling with people in government, right? Remember Jesus, actually, was one of the disciples. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, can anything good come out of government? Yes. There are people of our brothers and sisters who are working within government frameworks in that sphere. What are they doing to shepherd that sphere of our lives? And how can we support them? That's what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Dorothy Burton will be joining us shortly here on Mornings with Carmen. She's the president of an organization called Christians in Public Service. We'll be talking with her and hope you stay with us. And if you have any questions, remember, you can always text 877-933-2484. I'm Paul Perot. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Well, again, thank you for joining me this morning. I'm Paul Perot, filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Okay, I was only a teenager back in 1981 during President Reagan's uh, first inaugural, and I remember the line from his inaugural speech, government is the problem. Now, there was a context to that phrase that is often forgotten, and and sometimes, maybe it's just me, but I feel that phrase is almost used as a totalizing statement of derision to all things government, just kind of a wholesale dismissal of government as godless, and we want to resist it. And But, but wait a minute. Does God use government? Does God have his people in government seeking to shepherd that sphere of our lives for the common good? I know somebody who says yes. And those people we should support. Dorothy Burton joining me now here on Mornings with Carmen from the she's the president of Christians in Public Service. Good morning, Dorothy. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Actually got a text a little while ago from Talia saying, Excited about this segment. I'm starting a local group to help educate citizens about their civic duty and how they can get involved in their local government. So super passionate about this topic, she says. So we got a fan here, Talia. Good. So. Thank you, Talia. Hope we can help. <laughs> well, Dorothy, first off, you've been in public service. Tell us about mm-hmm. your experience there, why you went there, and just tell us your story. Uh, well, I actually graduated from a just short story, graduated from college, uh, kind of went from job to job. I didn't really know what my, I didn't know back then calling was. So I went to back to UTA. I graduated from UTA with a uh, bachelor's in, in, in journalism. And so I went back and took these tests that they had back then. And so I scored very highly in government. Mm-hmm. And so the counselor said, you know, you look like you ought to be going into that area. Have you thought about grad school? And I go, no, you know, I was grad, glad to get out of undergrad. <laughs> Certainly not grad. No. But so anyway, so I scored high in that. And so I went back and sure enough, I did. I went to grad school, married, had a family, grad school, all that. And then I was just applying for jobs. And to show you how God works, I, I my goal was to be a city manager. The only thing I wanted to do and be in life was a city manager. And I got a call one day from the county judge of Dallas County. Now, county judges in, in Dallas, they're not actually judges. They are the executive of the commissioner's court. And even some in some states call them the county executive. So 
I got a call from him and he goes, I got your application. I'm very interested in interviewing you. And I hung up the phone and I go, what is county government? I didn't know what county government was. I mean, my whole <laughs> focus was city government. And I go, I don't even remember applying for the job. So that's how I actually started. I, I worked for the county judge. Dallas County at that time was totally Republican, which was cool with me because I grew up in the country. I was a country girl. And, and being being from the country, that's all you know. You We didn't know we were conservative, but that's what we were, you know. So, um, so it worked out well. And I worked for him as his uh, uh, administrative assistant and then chief of staff. And, uh, and it just worked out great. And then I ran for city council of my city back then, uh, I say back then, I guess it was 98, 99. There had not been an African-American elected to the city council in my city. It's a suburb of Dallas, uh, but it was totally, totally, uh, white, um, mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, we didn't know. We moved out here because we, you know, it was nice. It was quiet, all that stuff. You know, we were young. And I lost. And I got an email. I got a, a fax. And back then, those faxes like, were like this thermal paper. Mm-hmm. And this older white guy said, I don't know why you lost. You were the most qualified one, but please stay involved. Mm-hmm. And so I had to ask myself. And it's what I ask people today. Why, Dorothy, did you want to serve? Was it because you were trying to make a point or is it because you really wanted to serve? And so I said, no, I really want to serve. So that's what I did. So I got involved in Rotary. I got involved in in, in anything, anywhere I could serve just to serve the, the community because I guess I had a servant's heart. I didn't know it then, but that's what it was. I just wanted to serve. And then... Uh, uh, ran for city council laws. So, and then we changed the charter. That was a charter change with the city uh, because we have some great people in this city even then. And they said, you know what? We need to make a change. And we did a charter change. The people um, approved it. And an at-large seat was created. And I'm going to, this is will encourage someone who's listening. I knew in my heart that God had, that I had a servant's heart and I wanted to serve. And the seat that I ran for was a district seat. Well, when the charter changed three years later, four years later, the seat that was actually created was an at-large seat, which would be elected citywide. Mm. And that's the seat that I got elected to. That's the seat (laughs) that God wanted me to have. Like God God planned this for you, Dorothy. Yes, he did. He did. So... While I was looking, I knew that I had a servant's heart, and he will test you <laughs> to see, okay, is this really about you, or do you really want to serve people and serve me? And if the answer is to serve him and to really serve people, God, we don't have to burst down the doors or kick in the doors. God will open the door, mm. and that's what he did for me. So he opened up a, a, a much bigger opportunity that wasn't even there at the time that I ran, but he created it. You were just being and faithful. Just being faithful. And that's all we're required to do is to be faithful, to be obedient and have a heart for God. And he will, he will do what he says he will do. And so that's how, that's, that's the long and short of it. Okay. Now you said uh, you wanted, you said you wanted to be a servant, Dorothy. What I, I, I'm trying to struggle to form this, but 
I mean, what was it in you that just you wanted to do the help people because in this area? I was, I was always on. Oh, I mean, I miss it. When I was in when I was in my fourth term, the Lord called me to seminary. I, I knew he was calling me a, to a deeper walk with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know it would be Dallas Theological Seminary because I had heard it was. I mean, my pastor is Dr. Tony Evans. So he was a, he was the first African-American to be let to graduate from Dallas Seminary. Mm-hmm. So I knew about was Dallas Seminary. But it was like, oh, no, it's, it's, man, that's hard. But I'm glad I did. So I went to seminary and, and graduated. But back to your question, the, the, you know, the thing that shapes and forms us are a lot of times the hard things. I grew up uh, as a foster kid. My, mm. my parents graduated. I mean, graduated. my parents divorced. My father went with his girlfriend. My mother went to California. California, there were four of us. I was the youngest. I was six months. So my aunt and uncle, they took us in and they were really, really, they were, they were, they were well respected in our small town. They were teachers, but she was very mean and people didn't know how mean she was, but she was really mean. And so I was always told by her and by others that I was never going to be anything. And Mm -hmm. I was always the outcast, Paul, because Mm -hmm. I look different. I'm black, but I'm very light skinned. I have blue eyes. So I was an outcast. With black, I was always ridiculed. I was always the odd man out. Uh, I, I was always the one that, you know, was just the oddball. And so I, I believe that I developed that heart for people because I was so um, uh, damaged and hurt myself. And, and, and I know what that feels like. So uh, the little guy, people who people throw away, People who, you know, just uh, people disregard. I, I believe in my soul and spirit. That's the only explanation that I could think of because I was always told that I wasn't going to be anything. But somehow I always knew, Paul, that I was something and that I was meant to be something. Uh, and that was, I didn't know it then, but that was the spirit of the Lord in me, even as a little kid, even though being told I was going to be another. And then growing up in the South and you know, even my teenage years, I never was black enough, never was white enough. Hmm. And so I be- I developed a very independent spirit. <laughs> okay. So that's where it came from, I believe. Hmm. We're talking with Dorothy Burton. She's the president of Christians in Public Service. And when we continue, Dorothy, I want to explore from a scriptural standpoint, because you went to seminary and, and you're looking at as we're called as Christians into various spheres, whether it be business, whether it be ministry, well, quote-unquote ministry, you know, uh, vocational ministry, or even government. I mean, God has a call on people's lives, and we want to explore that and then talk about Christians in public service and and also, again, how we as Christians who are not in public service support people who are Christians serving in that sphere. So we'll continue that conversation in just a bit on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so 
in ways that honor Jesus? Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. This is Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening. Earlier this morning, I had a text come in, just somebody asking, hey, can you send me something to help me know how to grow in my faith? Or, well, how to have faith is what they said. Well, one thing you can do, and I told this to them, I mean, yeah, well, we're going to hopefully get in contact with this person and get them some uh, literature and help. But also remember, if you ever have questions about the faith and how you can walk closer to Jesus, text the word faith to four. One two two four. It's that simple. We have friends at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association who want to connect with you and help you navigate that whole question and many more. Again, text the word faith to 41224. Well, let's continue our conversation with Dorothy Burton, president of Christians in Public Service. And okay, we we talk about the kingdom of God, which is coming, which is happening, Dorothy. And yet at this time, we still have all these lesser kingdoms, governments and all that. And you're helping Christians engage, who are working in the public sphere, to engage well, faithfully, hopefully building for the common good. And as we're talking off mic, I, I keep going back to the book of Daniel, because Daniel was just that kind of person, working in a secular government, but with a greater purpose. Is that kind of your, your heart, too? Yes. Yes. Explain that. Even before Daniel... If we go back to, uh, when was it, Exodus one seventeen, when the king told the midwives to kill all the babies. Mm-hmm. And, but the Bible said, but the midwives feared God right. and they didn't do it. Now, what we do today, those midwives didn't go to the king and say, ah, oh, king, we can't do that because we fear God and we're, 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 we're Jews and God said not do that. We're not going to do that. They, we, we just, that is just against our faith. We're not going to do that. You know what they didn't do? They did not do that. That's what Christians today do. And that is, that is the, that is the satanic era. And I'm not saying, Paul, these people are satanic. They're not. But Satan is very, 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 very cunning. Mm-hmm. And if he can get us to take on ourselves the battle that he knows we can't win because it is a spiritual battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, then we're going to get smashed and our witness is not going to get very great. So let's go back even before Daniel to, to, to Exodus. Uh, I think it was 117. Yeah, Those midwives talk. said, King, we can't do that. Uh, they, we, that, we, we, that's not the God. We, they didn't go and protest and all. They just didn't do it. But what did they do? When they when they didn't do it, and the king said, "Why haven't you killed?" Said, "Well, you know, man, the, the the Israel, the Jewish, the Jewish women are so fertile; they keep having these babies before we can even get to them." And and the king said, "Well, fine, fine. The ones that live, just throw them in the throw them in the Nile, throw them in the river." And so that's what they that's what they did. And so we got Moses. And then the Bible says it went further. You know what it said then? And then you you don't hear this part. You hear that part of the story. But you don't hear what God did for those midwives. The Bible says that God gave those midwives families of their own. Mm. He rewarded them. 
by being obedient to him and still doing it in a way that honored him and in a way that even they didn't know it at the time, but delivering Moses, who would be the deliverer of them all. So now let's come up to Daniel. Daniel served in four administrations, all of them pagan. Daniel never lost. As a matter of fact, I have a podcast out there. As a matter of fact, it was the very first podcast that I did. And it's called Before You Face the Lions. Mm. Before You Face the Lions. And Daniel's serenity, his peace was his relationship with God. And no matter what, even when the edict came down, as much as the king loved Daniel, Daniel went right back to doing what he did, and that's praying and open. He didn't change, and he didn't go and say, I can't do this, and he didn't do that. We have to, no matter what the people are doing, no matter what government is doing, no matter what, because we have to understand that our battle is not against people. If we're Republicans, our battle isn't the Democrats. Democrats, the, the battle isn't the Republicans. Right. It's the enemy of us all. And if he can get us to focus, take our focus on God and the power of God and do all of these things that we can do on our own, protest, uh, do all these, all this stuff, he knows that Number one, he knows we can't win. And number two, he knows that we're going to turn people against God in the process. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what Daniel, and so that's what we should do. We should depend on God. Mm. Dorothy, we could go longer on this, but we're running out of time. So I want you real quickly, can you give me your elevator pitch, your 60-second pitch about Christians and public service? What are you all about? We're about teaching how to serve, lead, and govern God's way, the kingdom way. God's using God's word as our basis. That that's that's it. <laughs> I mean, there's no magic to it. It's doing what Daniel did. It's doing what the midwives did. It's doing what jo- jo- what Joseph did. It's going in the Bible. Going. It's looking at God's word and saying, "Okay, how did David do it? How did Joseph do it? How did the midwives do it? How did they do it?" Because we know there's nothing new under the sun. So our challenge. In Christians in public service is to go to the word and dig out those uh, principles. And we, 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 we are based on principles. I mean, that, that no politics, any of that is when you're faced with this situation, how can you handle this situation in a way that honors God, glorifies God and serve people? That's it. That's it. And if you if you want to get connected with Dorothy, go to Christian public Christians in public dot org. Yeah, your podcasts are there, Dorothy, other information. And are are there chapters that you're developing around the country? Yes. As a okay. matter of fact, we just we just launched one. And we were really we were really we we really, really, really took our time in doing this mm-hmm. because we know that it can really go south really quickly because of the, the tendency yeah. to taint it with politics. Right. So right. we so. have groups. We call them groups. We call them life groups because we are about life, leadership, uh, inspiration, fellowship, and education. Oh, I love so, that. <laughs> so we are about life. 
So we have we just launched a group in Florida. Okay, hey, uh, Dorothy, we have to we have to cut it right there. But thank you again for joining us again. ChristiansInPublicService.org. Dorothy, blessings. Uh, Tony Evans, I can just feel Tony Evans dripping off of you. You're so good. <laughs> thank you for having me, Paul. You're I hope welcome. Your audience, yeah, was blessed. I think they were. This is Faith Radio. Well, again, I'm Paul Perot. I appreciate you joining me as I fill in for Carmen, well, yesterday, today, and I'll do it again tomorrow. Again, if you'd like to hear any of these conversations, the podcasts are up at MyFaithRadio.com, or at least these today will be up in just a couple of hours. But thank you again for listening to Faith Radio. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.